with you this morning. Matthew chapter 27 will be our opening passage of scripture. I will never forget any of those teen trips that we did. I had such a good time. It's always good to be here. I'm thankful for the lineup today. Looking forward to the meal afterwards. I am a free meal Baptist. <laughs> so it's uh, always a blessing to be able to enjoy the fellowship with the saints. We um, have such a great heritage as Baptist. America is founded upon Baptist principles. We're not preaching that message today, but you know it to be so. And Baptists have always been lovers of liberty. You can see in history how God used them in many places, but especially here in America, to open up the liberty that we enjoy so much. You know, as Baptist in New York, what a great heritage that you have. We've stopped there on one of our trips, the Little Falls Baptist Church, where Francis Bellamy, the Baptist pastor, penned the Pledge of Allegiance. Of course, in Pennsylvania, the Baptist who, Baptist pastor there who petitioned Congress to put on our money the motto in God we trust. And there in the First Baptist Church of Waterville, Maine, you can see the handwritten manuscript by Samuel Francis Smith, the pastor of that church who wrote the song, My Country, Tis of Thee. So not only in winning our liberty, especially liberty of conscience, the First Amendment uh, being called a Baptist Amendment, uh, then it is, it's good to think of the liberty that we have, but the liberty that we use to do what we're doing today. Uh, all Americans, regardless of who they are, enjoy the liberty purchased by the blood of Baptist in colonial America, beaten, imprisoned, fined for their faith. And we should never forget. Again, the, the message this morning is not going to be about Baptist history, but just a little bit of it before we get started. I, I thank you for the good singing. It's always good here at Freedom Baptist Church. And especially, I didn't expect to hear this morning uh, the ivory palaces, but my dad, he's with the Lord now. He was born on July 4th. And so uh, he always joked that all of America celebrated his birthday. Uh, but he requested that song at his funeral, the ivory palaces. So. I especially think of him this time of year, and that was a blessing to me. Uh, Matthew chapter 27 now. Matthew 27, and we will read one verse, verse 35. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, they parted 
my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Lord, thank you for your word. God, we ask your blessing upon it as it has been read and as it's preached. God, would you use it to help the hearers this morning? God, if there be one here in our midst who does not know you as Savior, is not sure of their salvation, God, would you use the message to speak to that heart? God, we love you. We thank you for your son. For it is in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. We celebrate over the next couple of days the independence that America gained from Great Britain. As Christians, we always are mindful of the independence which we gained over sin, over death, and over hell because of the blood that was shed by our Lord Jesus Christ. We call attention to that this morning. The Bible says in verse 35, and they crucified him. They crucified him. Why was it necessary for them to crucify him? We go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. And you are familiar with this part of scripture, which chronicles the fall. How that Adam sinned. And according to Romans chapter 5 verse 12, death passed upon all men because Adam sinned. And as the Lord is speaking here in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says in verse 14, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go in dust, shalt thou eat all the days of thy life, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so, to the serpent, Satan, the devil, the Lord makes this promise concerning him. And there in verse 15, which is the first prophecy concerning the virgin birth, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. The woman doesn't have seed. But this seed is Jesus Christ, of which the Bible is prophesying. And of course, we are able to defeat our enemy, to overcome him, to resist him through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the virgin-born Son of God. But here, in the opening chapters of Genesis, not only do we find creation, but we find the fall of man. Did this take God by surprise? Absolutely not. He knew that it was going to happen. We are not as those who say that God caused the fall to ensure the damnation of man so that he might save them. That's nonsense. Man had a choice. A choice to obey God or to disobey. And Adam chose to disobey the Lord. He did so, so that he could continue to be with his wife Eve, but nonetheless he disobeyed and the Lord had made provision for that. 
We look to the book of Revelation chapter 13. And the Bible tells us of something that happened and was planned before the fall. Revelation 13 verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, was slain from the foundation of the world. Already, he had made provision for the sin of mankind. God did not have to look through heaven after Adam's sin and say, what can we do? Jesus, will you go? That's not the way it happened. Provision was made beforehand. The Bible tells us, and we have referenced the passage already, but in Romans chapter 5, and beginning with verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we were to stop right there, that is the definition of foreknowledge in Scripture. A word that's used four times, foreknew, foreknowledge, four times in Scripture, yet there's much made about it. And what is foreknowledge? It's not the fact that God knew everything. We understand that. That's his omniscience. But foreknowledge is the Lord doing what he has determined to do in spite of what he knows about us. And the scripture says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew we were not worth it. Never have been, never will be. He knew that we did not merit salvation, could not pay for salvation, could not earn salvation, could not be good enough to be saved. And yet knowing that we're sinners, he died for us. That's the foreknowledge of God. And it's never used outside of that context in scripture. We continue reading in verse 9 of Romans chapter 5. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore? As by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. For that, all have sinned. Again, the Lord Jesus Christ made possible through his death our atonement. A word that's used throughout the Old Testament numerous times, but only one time in the New Testament. Here in Romans chapter 5 verse 11. The Lord Jesus Christ died for us. The method of his death we find in our text and they crucified him. The scripture tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 21 and here is what partially ordered the events of his death. Deuteronomy 21 it was commanded under the law uh, reading there in verses 22 and 23 and if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God. 
that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So it was instructed in the law that if one was hanged on a tree, and that's what was to be done with those who had committed sin worthy of death. You say, well, Jesus never committed any sin. That's right. He never did. He never could have. He's God. It's impossible for him to sin. So why was he crucified on a tree? Because we were worthy of death. Because mankind should have been put to death. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was hanged on a tree in the Bible, directed that if one was hanged on a tree, was not to be on that tree all night, but he was to be buried. And the scripture references that in the book of Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So, Scripture is referenced in Galatians chapter 3 from Deuteronomy 21, which we've already read. And it concerned the Lord Jesus Christ. It said, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. When he died, he took our curse. What a blessing that is. Now think about it. And they crucified him. The method of his death was crucifixion. Did the method of his death matter? It did. You understand that if they had held Jesus under the water until he was dead, he would not have been your savior. Had they hanged him by his neck until dead, he would not have been your savior. The Bible says that it requires the shedding of blood for remission of sins. Why was Jesus crucified? So that his blood could be shed. To wash us from our sins. We don't deserve it. But we're grateful for what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And not just that he died. There had to be shedding of blood. There are those who stand in the pulpits and say that it was the death. That was all that was necessary. Not so. There had to be shedding of blood. And no other method of death would suffice. The Bible tells us there in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 that Christ died for sinners. Why did he do that? The book of Hebrews chapter 12 gives us some insight into that. Hebrews 12 verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God." Why did he die on the cross? To save us from our sins. To wash us from our sins. To satisfy Almighty God, the Father. But he did so for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? You getting saved. That's what it was. That's what brought him joy. 
He endured that so that you could be saved. And when people get saved, believing the gospel that he, he died and he was buried and he rose again the third day. When people get saved, the Bible says there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repenteth. Joy in the presence of the angels. Some people read that wrong and they think that it's the angels who are doing the rejoicing. Some speculate that it's the other saints who have already gone on that are doing the rejoicing. But the scripture definitely tells us that Jesus died for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. So we know that when a sinner gets saved, Jesus rejoices. He rejoices over that. He does not rejoice over sinners perishing. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he rejoices in the salvation of sinners. If you're here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are headed to hell. You are still bound in your sins. And you will perish for all eternity. But if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you will be able to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be, as the Bible says, made free from your sin. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms chapter 2 that there were those who hated the Lord. That's a reference to Herod and Pilate and others who had him crucified and who tried to kill him. But the Bible tells us further in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they known it, the Bible says they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But they did crucify him. And he died for the sins of mankind. We go back to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 and we begin reading with verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. And not the very image of the things. Can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually. Make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. In those sacrifices. What sacrifices? Those are the sacrifices of animals made under the Old Testament law. You remember what had to happen. There in the tabernacle. In the most holy place. The priest would go alone once every year to make a sacrifice for his own sins and the sins of the people. When he went in to the most holy place, there would be the ark 
of the covenant. What was in the ark? There was the two tables of the law. That's one thing. There was Aaron's rod that budded. And the third thing that was in the Ark of the Covenant, right there in the most holy place, the third thing was a pot of manna. Now what's interesting, those three things being there, do you remember what they were associated with? The rebellion of the people. They were rebelling as God was given the law. They rose up to play. Moses took those tables and he, he broke them. Whenever strange fire was offered there, then whoever's rod, one from each of the tribes of Israel budded, that was the one that was to offer the incense and the offering unto God. And it was the tribe of Levi, Aaron's rod budded. For what had happened, the ground had opened up and swallowed many of those people because they rebelled against God. And the people being fed angels' food from heaven didn't like it. They rebelled against God and said, we'd rather have the foods from Egypt. Why was there a remembrance made of sins every year when the priest went into the most holy place? Because there is the Ark of the Covenant and there are those three things that remind the priest and everyone else, because they knew what was in there, that Israel was nothing but a bunch of rebels deserving to be destroyed. Instead, what was on top of that Ark? The mercy seat. Instead of getting judgment, they got mercy. But every year, the scripture says, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Couldn't help me. The priest would see that ark. It was a remembrance of how Wicked and rebellious the people that had been. But when that blood was sprinkled on that mercy seat. That brought them forgiveness. But only for a year. Why? The next verse in Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 4 says. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats. Should take away sins. It is not possible. That the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. But what's. The next several verses tell us. Verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 10. Wherefore when he cometh into the world he saith sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not but a body. Hast thou prepared me and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I lo I come in the, in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will O God. Above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he lo I come to do thy will O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. 
But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. The Lord Jesus Christ made the only acceptable sacrifice for sin that the Father accepted. God was not pleased with the offering of bulls and of goats. The people obeyed him, but he knew it couldn't take away their sins. But the offering of his son did, and it could. One sacrifice for sins forever. The Lord only had to die once because he is not an animal. He is the perfect son of God. God in flesh. Sinless. He was born sinless. Remember over there in Genesis 3 and verse 15, it was prophesied concerning the woman's seed. Born sinless, lived a sinless life, offered himself a sinless sacrifice unto God. And you remember as Bible students that the scripture tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. The offering of Christ as a sacrifice for sins was a, a sweet-smelling savor. We look back then to Isaiah 53, that chapter in the Old Testament that talks about the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ and it talks about his death. Isaiah chapter 53, what does it say there about the Lord Jesus Christ? Isaiah 53, the scripture says in verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded. For our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ died in our place. It should have been us put to death. We are the sinners, he is the Savior. He is the Savior, however, because He died for us. And He died in our place. He took our sins upon Himself. But not only that, when He was dying there on the cross, He was smitten of God. He was stricken. Wrath had to be experienced because of sin. Who took that wrath? The Lord Jesus Christ did. He died for you. Not just any death. He was crucified in our place. He was smitten. He was stricken. He was wounded. He was bruised. He was chastised. He received stripes because of our sin. 
The scripture goes on to say in verse 7 of Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. There's that cross reference to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. The joy that was set before him. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The Lord Jesus Christ was put to death. And he opened not his mouth. He could have said, they are guilty, Lord. Take their lives. It's not me. You know that he could have called legions of angels to take him from the cross, even to keep him from going there. But he came for that purpose. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to offer himself a sacrifice for sin. He died on the cross. We can't stress it enough. He died in our place. We are talking about independence. Independence one country from another. That's a good thing when it's in the right. But there's no independence that's so good and so sweet and so holy as the independence we receive from sin when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. But there was a high price for our sin. It cost the Savior his life. He died. The scripture says in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 that he tasted death for every man. Not for some, but for every man. He died for all. We look over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. This is Jesus speaking about his own death. John 10 verse 17, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I may, might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. And now to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Jesus is being crucified. Verse 29. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. Now of what was he speaking? He was not speaking of the work of redemption. He was not speaking of sanctification or justification. He was not speaking of the work of imputation. When he said it is finished. For you know as Bible students, had he not risen again from the dead, none of that would have been possible. 
It took his resurrection and we thank God for it. It took his resurrection to validate the work that was on the cross. Jesus said it is finished. Turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. The only other time in scripture where the phrase it is finished appears is in James chapter 1. Verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin. When it is finished, bringeth forth death. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. When Jesus died, according to Isaiah 53 and verse 6, the sin of the world was laid upon him. There on the cross, he's bearing your sin and my sin. The Lord laid it upon him. The Bible tells us further along those lines in the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? In verse 33. It is God that justifieth. How did God justify those who would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior? By laying their sins upon him. And when you get saved, there is that transaction where your sins are laid upon Jesus and his righteousness is laid upon you. That's called imputation. What a blessing it is. The scripture tells us if we look over into 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and reading from verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us, whom you know sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He laid the sins of the world upon Jesus. Jesus tasted death, for every man. We understand that he was made sin for us. Who knew no sin. The Lord Jesus Christ. Was made sin for us. Think with me for just a moment. Every. Evil. And wicked thing you've ever done. Was laid on Jesus when he died on the cross. 
Every sin you've ever committed was laid on Jesus there on the cross. Everything that you ever said that was wrong, everything that you've ever done that was wrong, everything that you've ever thought that was sinful, all of that was laid on Jesus on the cross. He has paid for all sins, past, present, and future. You say, preacher, I believe that Jesus died for my past sins, but not my future sins. Well, when Jesus died, how many of your sins were in the future? All of them. Did he die for your sins? He died for all of them then. Past. And by the way, the scripture tells us in Romans chapter 3 that all sins are past. Why? Because he's already taken all sins. He's already died for all sins. Are you still beset with sin? Yes, we are. Are we still tempted to sin? Yes, we are. Do we sin? God forbid that we do, but even Christians will sin at times. We should not. But all of those sins were placed on Jesus when he died on the cross. Now understand, the Bible says, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. When Jesus was on the cross, being made sin for us, being, having the sin of the world laid upon him, being afflicted, being bruised, being chastised, having the wrath of the Father placed upon him on the cross because of our sins. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Here's what happened. When Jesus cried, it is finished, he was not talking about the work of redemption. He was not talking about his life. When Jesus cried, it is finished. He was talking about sin. Sin. It's finished. He paid for it. If you die without the Savior this morning, you will not go to hell because of sin. You will die and go to hell because you refused to accept the payment Jesus has already made for your sin. That's the only reason. When he cried, it is finished. He was talking about sin. There was nothing else that needed to be done. One sacrifice for sins forever. No more remembrance of sins as far as the Lord is concerned. His blood has washed us from our sins. Sin is finished. And remember what Jesus said, John chapter 10. You see, sin didn't kill him. Sin didn't kill him. He bore the sin. He shed his blood to wash away sin. But remember, he said, I lay down my life. No man taketh it from me. If our sins could have caused his death, 
that wouldn't have been true. Jesus bore the sins. The only one who could. As the Lamb of God, he took them upon himself. And then, he laid down his life. He died. And the scripture says, now he that is dead is freed from sin. Jesus chose to take sin upon himself. Your sin, my sin. We're all sinners. And Jesus then, when he took that sin upon himself, he chose to die. He laid down his life and in doing so, he put away sin. And when he rose again, he arose sinless. Again, the perfect, resurrected Son of God. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? If so, you need to praise Him and thank Him for what He has done for you. He took your sins. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, today is the day of salvation. You need to believe on Him. He took your sin. All of that vile, wicked mess. If you don't believe on him, you, when you depart this life, will go to hell. And then you'll be cast into the lake of fire. If you do believe on him, not only will you be saved, you'll be saved for all eternity. Where he is, you will be. If you don't know him, won't you believe on him this morning? If you do, won't you thank him again for what he has done? As we stand and pray, preacher, you come. Lord, we're thankful for what you have done. God, we're thankful how you have defeated sin. Lord, we ask that you'd work in the hearts and lives of each one who are here this morning. We love you.